Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 26. Welcome to the first podcast of 2016. In today's episode, I'm going to discuss options for the cone of shame. Specific prescription errors to avoid when your pharmacist fills prescriptions and what you can do if your dog or cat is anemic. Veterinary Secrets is on iTunes. Go to iTunes and search for Veterinary Secrets. We're also on Stitcher. You can download the Stitcher app and search for Veterinary Secrets. I would definitely appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can do so on iTunes or Stitcher. Questions or comments, feel free to post a comment on my blog at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog, or you can send me an email, and that's at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. In this upcoming year, I really want to include your suggestions for shows, any questions or comments, things you specific concerns you might have about things I've discussed, or stuff you want to hear about. So once again, you can send me an email, that's at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com, or you can post a comment on the blog at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog. So it gets, let's get right into today's podcast. The first one is about e-collar alternatives, um, pet-friendly substitutions for that cone of shame. Uh, so the e-collar itself is short for Elizabethan collar. You know, think about it as that satellite dish, the lampshade, you know, that big plastic thing that is being put on your dog or cat to stop them from licking. Um, the most common reason why it's put on there is after surgery, such as your dog or cat being spayed or neutered, or wanting them to stop from licking the incision site. And perhaps they've had surgery somewhere else in their body, we want them to stop licking, and we really don't want that incision site to be opened up again. So it's on there, we may be wanting them to stop licking a certain area of their body, you know, such as scratching in a hot spot, um, perhaps it's, they've got an ear infection. Regardless, we want them to stop licking for some reason. Yes, it can be uncomfortable, and many animals don't like it, obviously. But imagine, you know, what's worse, having that incision open up again and them needing to have surgery. So obviously, you need to stop them from licking in certain situations. But in some cases, these e-collars, these plastic collars, just don't work. We have some animals, some dogs, they can get them off or chew them up. Other animals just run around and they knock everything over in sight. Like, there's got to be a better way. There's dogs, and I remember dogs at the clinic. They would just howl and scratch and scratch. They just couldn't leave it alone. So you need you need to have another option. And there's three main ones that I used in practice. You know, and the last thing is kind of the patching things together. First thing option is called the bite knot collar. Really, it's a neck brace. Imagine this brace just going completely around your dog, your cat's neck. It does work well for some pets, um, especially if you're going to stop them from licking lesions in their upper paws, that upper torso, their upper part of their body. It is difficult for them to bend their neck and get around to actually lick, say, their belly if they've been spayed or neutered. So it works well in that situation. Um, it can be sort of somewhat cumbersome. Some pets don't like it, but it's definitely a better option for many guys than just the e-collar. The second option is called the blow-up neck pillow. So think about those pillows that you might have bought at the airport the last second and they're more comfortable for you. Imagine something that completely encircles your pet's neck. Once again, it's just stopping your dog or cat from turning their head and licking, like getting around, getting their head and their tongue in the position to lick the area you're wanting them to stop licking. So it's another option. Some of these guys seem to tolerate it better than the bite knot collar. There's the paper collar. So some of the guys, they just don't like that heavy, heavy, thick plastic that the e-collar is. So if you just put something on that's just a lot less heavy, 
they're actually okay with it. Obviously, it's not as resistant. You know, it's easy to rip it apart. And if you got a destructive dog, I mean, this isn't a good option. But for some guys, they just you just need to stop them and just enough to inhibit them, and it will work well. And it's just a lot more comfortable to wear. So you can ask your veterinarian about that. Then the last big option is just covering stuff up. So what we're thinking about is, you know, we've got to either wrap the leg, for instance, if your dog's licking a pair up area of their leg, you know, be it with towels, things you're going to pick up from the Sally Ann, regardless, something that's going to cover that lesion so they can't lick it, and then putting on a bandage material. Or other cases, I actually would have clients just get an entire sweater or a whole big, long, full-length shirt and just cover their their entire pets you know they put the arm their front legs in the arms and pull that whole the rest of the shirt all the way down their belly and that's enough and then sort of try to fasten that onto the back back of their leg maybe put a a bit of tape around it that's attached to their fur and sometimes that's enough to stop them regardless you're trying to be inventive in terms of stopping them from licking the area that they should not be licking but knowing that it's a lot more enjoyable to put on than an e-collar so yes there are the other options you can ask your veterinarian about them you can also get most of those same things at all the pet supply stores the next part of the podcast comes in, in part about article that i read um, on one of the veterinary sites and in part it comes from the fdc releasing a report recommending ways to make pet medication costs more competitive the report lent support to the fairness to pet owners act introduced in the united states congress which if passed would mandate that veterinarians provide pet owners with written prescriptions for medications uh, that normally veterinarians would dispense some veterinarians are claiming that this would possibly reduce cost to pet owners um, but their issue and what they claim is that there's the problem of potential serious medication and just dispensing errors. So what are these? Well, the perils of prescription errors. When filling a pet's prescription, the pharmacist has no knowledge of the patient's diagnosis, current medications to monitor for drug interactions, or your dog or cat's age or health status. Many customers getting their human prescriptions filled at a pharmacy are unaware of what medication their pets are taking and for what disease. So it follows that pet owners need instructions about medications for their pets. Veterinary health professionals provide both drug instructions and counseling on how to administer the medication, knowing what current medications pets are taking relevant to their disease. So take in point that part of this is written by a veterinarian who is still advocating that all medications are filled at veterinary practices. But I think there's a, you can get some good nuggets of wisdom from this and from this section of the podcast in that many of us are, and for the most part, I think it really makes sense for you to get, especially things like antibiotics, to get those filled um, at a pharmacy. You don't get that filled, filled by your veterinarian. If there are specific medications that have issues with complications or side effects, you know, make sure that you get that first that knowledge passed to you by your veterinary practice you know so if your veterinarian is writing out a prescription for you to fill at a pharmacy make sure that they give you a list of here's what your dog or your cat is on and they should be knowledgeable about you know potential drug interactions and side effects so make sure you get the information from them that's then passed on to your pharmacist but knowing that there's certain concerns and i think it's just good that you should know about these um, maybe you can avoid a medication side effect in your own dog or cat um, according to a 2012 oregon veterinary medical association survey 35 percent of veterinary practices had their prescriptions changed by pharmacy without without authorization they claim that it resulted in 16.5 percent of patients 
severing setbacks. The following are points to consider when having to provide a written prescription so that the pharmacist generated errors do not occur. First, thyroid doses. Those for dogs are higher, much higher than those in people. For instance, the author claims that they personally had a pharmacist change a golden retriever's siloxin 0.5 milligram twice a day dose to 0.05 milligrams, so which is like a tenth the amount, telling the pet owner that the dose was too high. It wouldn't work. So then that dose of that thyroid medication wouldn't work. The dog would still be hypothyroid. So you need to know that your dog is giving the right dose of the medication. Pharmacists and other human health professionals are not aware that ibuprofen can cause renal toxicosis in dogs. And it can, and it's very serious. So you should be aware of that and make sure that no one suggests your dog take ibuprofen especially you know, if you get that recommendation or suggestion from a pharmacist. The example of you know, a client going to a pharmacy asking to have their prescription of carprofen, that's Rimadel filled, and a pharmacist saying, here, take this drug, ibuprofen, and said, never give your dog ibuprofen, or else just clients, I have pet owners themselves, giving their dogs ibuprofen, it works for them, great for their sore tooth, maybe good for my dog's sore tooth, not a good idea. So never use ibuprofen in your animals. Gabapentin liquid. So gabapentin is a drug. It's an old drug. Um, it used to be used for seizures. Now we're finding that it's helpful, especially for these dog guys that are in serious, ongoing, and chronic pain, you know, such as arthritis. And what we're finding is we can give these, get these dogs on gabapentin, lower the dose of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. The big point you need to know is that gabapentin liquid contains xylitol whereas the capsules do not. And you want to make sure that your dog is not given xylitol. It's very toxic to dogs and cats. Acetaminophen should never be given to cats, and in dogs it can, it can cause liver damage. So an example here is there's one drug um, called hy- hy- hydrocodone, um, which was used as, say, a um, drug to stop coughing, but it was substituted with hydrocodone with acetaminophen. So you want to make sure that if it's just a specific drug, another example, if you've got a dog, for instance, that's got like severe muscle spasms, and we may be prescribing Robaxacin. So Robaxin is just the muscle relaxant, methocarbamol, whereas Robaxacet is the muscle relaxant and the anti-inflammatory drug acetaminophen, the painkilling drug acetaminophen. So you want to be clear that especially if you've, your dog is on another non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, he's on something else, you shouldn't, he shouldn't be on acetaminophen as well, and it can cause liver damage. You never want to make sure acetaminophen is ever given to a cat. So you just want the actual drug, not the drug and the painkiller acetaminophen. Phenobarbital doses are generally higher in dogs than in people, and in one case, a pharmacist told the owner that the dog's dose was too high, so they lowered the dose, the dog started to seizure again. Some pharmacists do not realize that there's a type of insulin called clargine insulin. It is not interchangeable with NPH insulin. NPH insulin should not be substituted without consulting the prescribing veterinarian. Yes, NPH is less expensive. Maybe the pharmacist is there trying to save the owner money, but there is no comparison. Clargine seems to last much longer, much more effective, especially helping control these diabetic especially difficult to control diabetic cats and is coming the insulin of choice you so it's not substitutable you can't change glargine for nph prednisolone and prednisone are not interchangeable particularly in cats so prednisone is the one prescribed by most veterinarians the abbreviation sid should not be used since it is not known to mean once daily to most pharmacists for whatever reason that's what we 
and that's what I was taught in veterinary school. SID means once a day, so I would write that out. Or most pharmacists don't understand that abbreviation. So maybe if you see it on your prescription, you can help them out. It means once a day. Over-the-counter medications such as antihistamines should not be likened to antihistamines containing decongestants such as pseudoephedrine. If your dog needs to be on an antihistamine such as Benadryl, just give Benadryl. If your cat needs to be on an antihistamine such as chlorpheniramine, just give chlorpheniramine. Make sure it doesn't have other, it's not meant for cough or cold, just the antihistamine. Pseudoephedrine is a vasoconstrictor that can cause hyperexcitability, elevated blood pressure, especially in cats. Compounded medications should only be used if absolutely necessary. There is sort of an issue around some veterinarians being strongly opposed to them because they can't be properly regulated and measures, measured. Other veterinarians are big proponents of the com compounded medications, especially with some drugs such as tapazole, and that's a drug used to treat cats that have hi are hyperthyroid so much easier for you as a pet owner to be able to give that tapazole transdermal. You're actually giving it as a paste in your cat's ear, especially if you're giving it twice a day. In part because what we're finding is, first of all, it's easy to give. You can really be compliant giving it to your cat twice a day. So much more enjoyable to give, so much less stressful than having to pill a cat twice a day. You know, I had challenges myself pilling cats and just experiencing that, having to give the pill twice a day to a neighbor's cat, it's not fun to do, especially when your cat doesn't want pills. So yes, there's some big benefits with compounded medication, especially when they're compounded properly by a pharmacist that has experience with compounding. But that being said, there's some medications that should not become compounded. One, there's an antifungal called itraconazole. It has poor solubility, and it's available in a commercially manufactured oral liquid. There's an immunosuppressant drug called cyclosporin. One study showed that more than 10% of compounded cyclosporin liquids deviated from the label strength. So is it likely it's gonna be far less effective? And it may need to be effective, you know, such as the autoimmune skin disease or an animal that has cancer. There's an antibiotic called doxycycline. A study showed that it was only viable for seven days when it was compounded. So for instance, if your cat needs to be on it, it's got a disease called hemobartonella which can cause anemia you want to make sure the doxycycline is going to be effective to get rid of that parasite but if it's been compounded it may not be effective so there are some big things to consider if you're having your animals prescriptions filled at a pharmacy some big points to remember just having them filled period um, i think it just helps for you to be more informed as a pet owner generally the last section of today's podcast is on anemia so anemia is a decrease in the number of red blood cells or a decreased amount of hemoglobin in the blood. Anemia is the most common disorder of a pet's blood. There are several different kinds of anemia caused by a variety of underlying causes. Hemoglobin, which is found inside red blood cells, carries oxygen from the lung to the rest of your pet's body. Anemia leads to a lack of oxygen in your dog and cat cells. Depending on the extent of the anemia, there are a number of different clinical signs. So what are they? Your pet seems weak and tired. The inside of the gums and eyelids are pale or white instead of pink. So weakness, general tiredness, shortness of breath, sleeping more, poor appetite, dizziness, fainting, pale gums, paleness of the whites of the eyes, the sclera. There can be yellowing around the eyes, rapid heart rate, weak pulse, pica, which is the consumption of non-food-based items such as dirt, paper, wax, grass, ice, and hair which may be a symptom of iron deficiency. So anemia is caused by blood loss. 
It can be caused from parasites such as fleas or hookworms, lice. Immune disorders, such as immune-mediated hemolytic anemia where the body's immune system attacks the red blood cells. Internal bleeding, such as what occurs with spleen tumors and subsequent blood loss. Then there's the anemia of chronic diseases, such as hypothyroid disease or ongoing skin infections. So what should you do? First, if you suspect your dog or cat is anemic, see a veterinarian. Anemia is a sign of a potentially severe underlying disease. It is important that your veterinarian diagnose the cause and begin appropriate treatment immediately. Um, and then some of these suggestions are more appropriate for the cases of chronic ongoing anemia, or ones where your veterinarian can actually pin down what well, here's the cause. First, no vegetarians here. Add food that is high in iron and it'll boost your pet's ability to carry oxygen. Cooked liver is a great source of iron. Give one ounce a day to your cat and four ounces a day to your dog. B vitamins are an important component of the pet's blood cell's ability to carry oxygen. A vitamin B complex liquid elixir can be purchased at your local veterinarian. You can give it twice a day. Vitamin C, 250 to 500 milligrams, two times per day, helps the body absorb iron. Dietary sources of vitamin C include citrus fruits and juices, tomatoes, broccoli, and cauliflower. Your dog or your cat will eat those. Obviously, the easiest thing is just to use vitamin C. Molasses, blackstrap molasses, also known as pregnancy tea, one tablespoon per day in a cup of hot water, is a great source of iron, B vitamins, and minerals. It's also a very gentle laxative. Acupressure. Some veterinarians have had success using acupressure in a variety of immune-related disorders. To help strengthen the immune system, apply pressure for one minute three times daily to the GB14 point which is located at the base of the neck between the shoulder blades. Herbal. There are three herbs that can be helpful. Nettle, red clover, and burdock root. These can be purchased at most health food stores. Give one teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight once daily. Burdock is the most important of these three herbs. And there's a Chinese herb called Yunnan Paeo. It's often used for anemia. It's kind of one of those ones that I would um, suggest giving in practice when we couldn't really guarantee we couldn't get to the source of the anemia we're sort of at a loss like what else can we try treating this dog for and i had a number of animals respond to it the dose is one half of a capsule per 10 pounds body weight three times daily and there's a herbal tonic for anemia you want to combine equal parts of nettle dandelion leaf alfalfa and ground flaxseed or fish oil for cats the dose is one teaspoon per pound of food fed daily for dogs one half a teaspoon daily for cats some of the nutrients in this include protein, vitamin C, B-complex, including B12, vitamin A, vitamin E and K, iron, potassium, calcium, phosphorus, magnesium, and the omega-3 fatty acids. And the last remedy to consider is a homeopathic one. It's phosphorus. It's a common remedy for many types of bleeding. You know, I dose it at 1 to 3 pellets of the phosphorus 30C twice daily for 3 to 5 days. So thanks again for listening to this edition of Energy Secrets. And once again, I really want to hear feedback from you guys. So if you have any suggestions or questions, you can send me an email. That's at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. Or you can post a comment on my blog at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog. Once again, thanks for being part of the podcast and listening. And I'll talk to you again next week. This is Dr. Andrew Jones.